taking care of his business. Taking care of his business, right? His business. All right. And his business is the harvest. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for today. We're taking care of his business, right? Can we say that together? Taking care of his business. Come on, one, two, three. Taking care of his business. Very good, very good. And his business is the harvest. The harvest. It's harvest time, everybody. Anyone ever grow up on a farm? All right, so you know, harvest time is the time for what? Relaxing. Right? It's time for work. Right? Let's get to work. We have been uh, seeing a lot of spiritual growth and a lot of uh, growth here at Holden Chapel, and we're excited about it. We're excited to see um, all the, the the new faces and um, hearing all the testimonies, um, because it is the harvest, and this is where the harvest is at. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, is what Jesus has said, right? So the labors are few. So we're the labors, is what he's saying. Like, pray the Lord of the harvest for laborers, people who are going to go and do the work. Um, so we're just going to kind of recap, since we're launching life groups, or launching discipleship groups today. I kind of want to recap a little bit on what we've been talking about in the past. So we're talking about the rise of churchlessness in America. And uh, we put up this poll uh, from Barna that says about 49% of America considered churched, which basically means they've gone, they go to church once a month. So if you go to church once a month, you're considered church. 49% is kind of a high number, I think. 8% are minimally churched, um, what we would consider CEOs. Christmas and Easter onlys, right? They go once in a blue moon, they might go to church, right? And then there's this line, and under that line, there's a 10% purely unchurched, never, you know, never got the t-shirt, never been there, right? So, and then the last number is the real big number, and that's 33% de-churched. De-churched, which basically means they've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, not going back, right? Something has happened to this demographic where they say, I am not going back to church. I have been hurt. I have been, I have been put out. And we would said there were two reasons, right? Judgment and bureaucracy. Judgment being like, you know, human problem. Anytime you get people together, you have judgment problems, right? You know, you're all from families, aren't you? Right? Judgment's a human problem. But then bureaucracy is kind of like, whatever we do here is bigger than you. So either, you know, if you don't like it, you can leave. That kind of mentality is sort of, you feel like they're part of an organization, they're part of like, like this big, um, you know, this big business of the church. And so they leave. And so this is really the harvest field in a lot of ways. 33% are de-churched. So where is the harvest? Well, it's here. It's up in the Northeast. Barna's last uh, poll in 2019 was considered, they put out a book every time they do a poll. It takes them a while, and they poll America to sort of find out the spiritual climate. And so it said the top 10 most post-Christian cities in America are Springfield, Massachusetts, number one. Ding, 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 you win. Portland, Maine. Providence, Rhode Island. Burlington, Vermont. Boston, Massachusetts. Albany, New York. Hartford, Connecticut. Rochester, New York. Like the top 10 are in the Northeast. Post-Christian would be somebody who would say, like, yeah, they're a Christian, but they don't believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross, that, you know, he's God, that, you know, heaven, hell, the gospel, any of that stuff. They're Christian like they might be Italian, right? I was brought up Christian, I'm a Christian, you know. That's what that's what's considered a Christian. Eight, basically, of the top ten are up in the north, northeast. 
it's crazy. So we would say this is the harvest of America. This is the harvest field of America. So Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Go there. Go into, do you know that other countries are sending their missionaries here? It's true. Right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the command. This is our mission if you choose to receive it, right? Go therefore and make disciples. So why don't we? Because obviously there's a problem up here. There's a disciple, there's a lack of discipleship. There's a lack of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who are raising up this next generation. So this is a good question for us to answer. In the Northeast, why don't we go? That bothers, this kind of question really bothers me. It haunts me. Why don't we go? Why don't, why don't we show the grace that we've been shown? Why don't we reach out? Why aren't we? Why aren't we seeing it? Why aren't we seeing it take effect? Why are we seeing these numbers up here in such great numbers? Why are people so adverse to the gospel and not being reached? So there's this story I'm going to read, and it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 through 12, and it's on page 269. So if you could just reach out in front of you, there's a Bible in front of you, grab it, open up to page 269, I'll give you a second to get there. Now, it's a story when David took the throne. He comes to the throne, and, he, you know, it was the king before him was Saul. And so now he takes the throne, and he says this. David asked, Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Maybe he's asking this to himself, just thinking about this. Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul, the king before him, that I can show kindness to? For Jonathan's sake. Now, Jonathan and David were buds, right? They were besties. They were best friends. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. So he wants to bless this family. And there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to King David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, I'm your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I could show the kindness of God to? And Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son, who was injured in both of his feet. Now, he was dropped when he was a young lad, Mephibosheth was, and uh, he broke his feet, and they weren't set, you know, they didn't have a Obamacare back then, and so they just, he lived like that. He just kind of grew up crippled. So the king asked him, where is he? Where is he? And Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodibar, at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So the king David had brought had him brought from the house to, of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. So he was staying with some people, being taken care of in Lodibar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. He said, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid. Now, why would he say, don't be afraid? Well, he probably thought he was going to get his head lopped off because he was the king's heir before him. And that was custom back then. When a new king came into the throne, it was customary to wipe out all the lineage of the king before him so that he wouldn't have any usurpation. I guess usurpation. When the, I guess that's a word. I don't know. I made it up. A usurpers. We don't have any usurpers. Any usurpers in the house? 
so his throne wouldn't be taken from him. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. And so Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? The king summoned Saul's attendant, Ziba, and he said to him, I have given you your master's grandson, that all, all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him. You are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now, uh, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. Like, why did the writer have to kind of put that at the end? Yeah, we knew his feet were injured. Like, just kind of made sure we all knew that he was still crippled, though he was eating at the king's table. Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? That's the heart of a disciple maker. That's the heart of an evangelist. That's, that's the heart that we should have when approaching this harvest field. Is there anyone out there that we can show the kindness of God to? Anyone been shown the kindness of God in their lives? Is there anyone in your life that you could show the kindness of God to? You know, you come, this is the picture of the gospel, right? David is a Christ figure. He's a type and he looks out and he's trying to find someone that he can bless. And they find Mephibosheth. And it's a funny name, isn't it? Mephibosheth. Or maybe it was Mephibosheth. Whatever it is, it's a weird name. And they find him in a place called Lodibar. Lodibar was a, a ghetto. And they carry him to the table of the king. And he sees him and he says, Mephibosheth. And he, he, he knows his name. This man was a, he says, what do you do with this dead dog? Anyone ever feel like that? Like a dead dog in the presence of the king? I'm the lowest on the totem pole. I don't belong here. You know, I believe a lot of people miss the gospel because they think they deserve something or they're up here or they have to be up here in order to find the Lord. It's when we realize we're the lowest. We don't deserve anything. And we've shown the kindness of God. He says, Mephibosheth, you always eat at my table. And so when Mephibosheth sits at this table, he says, just like everybody else, and there he sits with all the king's men, and all there he is sit with the with a meal in front of him, and that table covers his brokenness. The blood of Christ covers your brokenness and my brokenness. Doesn't mean it's just absolutely gone, but it's covered. Our sin is covered. And we can sit and have fellowship with the king. You know what's funny is the language of the writer keep saying, and the king, and the king, and the king. And as soon as he sees Mephibosheth, he changes from the king said to David said, David said, David. It's almost like the writer's telling us with this technique that there's something about the relationship, something about a name, right? When somebody knows your name, call your name. That means they know you. Thomas, right? They know you. 
There's something about a relationship, something about a name. He says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Right? Isn't that like Jesus with us? He calls us to himself. He says, don't be afraid. You'll eat at my table. This is the call of God on all our lives. And he wants to show the kindness of God to him because of a promise he made to Jonathan. There's a story when, when David was fearing for his life from King Saul that Jonathan and he got together and he says this in 1 Samuel 20. It says, Jonathan said, may the Lord be with you just as he was with my father. If I continue to live, show me the kindness from the Lord. But if I die, don't ever withdraw your kindness from my household. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And David remembered this. You know how we are as people. We just like forget about things. We might make promises and then, you know, well, things have changed now. And, you know, David stuck to his word and he remembered that promise. He said, is there anyone that I can now fulfill this promise to? And we're called based on this promise. The promise of God is the gospel. That he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Right? So Mephibosheth comes into this palace and he probably thinks, oh, I'm going to die. This is it. What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? He says to Ziba now, now he has to have somebody take care of this lad who's crippled. And he says to Ziba, you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. He'll always eat at my table. And he blessed Mephibosheth with lands and houses, and he restored Saul's inheritance to him. But you're always going to eat at my table. That table represents relationship, communion. God wants to have a relationship with you. You sit at, you know, we're going to have Thanksgiving here soon. And there's something about God that, repre- that is represented in family. You know, you might have issues with your family members. You're going to sit down and eat with them. You kind of forget about it, right? It kind of goes away. It's covered at that table a little bit, right? You're eating with somebody. It means you have a relationship with them. You're in, you're in communion with them, right? This is the kind of, this is what this picture, this beautiful picture is painting, so let's look at these names a little bit. Mephibosheth, or Mephibosheth, say that three times fast, means destroyer of shame. Ah, that's what I want my name to be. Destroyer of shame, not Mephibosheth, but destroyer of shame. But in fact, isn't that, isn't that our name? Hasn't God done a work in you that now all that shame from your family and from your past and your family's past is destroyed? And now, isn't it interesting that this is his name? Destroyer of shame. There was shame on the house of Saul. And now with Mephibosheth, it starts over again. And it starts over with you. No matter how you were raised, no matter how what happened in your family, it starts, it stops with you. And you can draw a line and say, no longer. Well, my grandfather was divorced and my father was divorced. And now it stops with me. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Lodibar, Lodibar. This word means no pasture, no word, no communication. That reminds me of the Northeast. This is a spiritual word. 
Lodibar, no pasture. The seed is not grown. In New England, the seed of the word of God is just not taking root. No pasture, no word, no revelation. No revelation, no communication. This is a lonely place, a spiritual desert, a wasteland in a sense, where it's not taking root. And God wants to change this. God wants to change this. You know, ever since we've been up here, we've been moved to the fact that, like, God wants to do a thing up here. He wants to change this desert land and, and let things grow and, and see where it, where it was once sand and dirt. It's now green and flourishing. No pasture, no word, no communication. This is where the king's son was sitting. And maybe many of you come from this land. I've been this land. I've lived in this land where there was no, no revelation in my life. No communication, no fellowship, no, nothing spiritually growing in my life. And my guitar player, when he came to me and he started talking to me about Jesus, it was like he was coming from another world. And he was bringing this message to me from another world. And it's like, how, how do you understand, like, how, how is it that you understand the love of God? And I wanted to know, because I was thirsty, I was dry. And when we understand the word of God and we have a revelation, and this is why it's so important that we have a, 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 a connection, an experience with the presence of God, that we just don't believe because our parents believe, but we have a, a personal revelation for ourselves, that we're invited to the table, that we know that he knows your name. You hear him call your name. He brings you into his fellowship. He brings you into his, into his presence. And he has communication with you. And the word is spoken to you. And he gives you that pasture, just like he did with Mephibosheth. And Ziba, his name was Station. Isn't this interesting? This, you know, the Bible isn't interested in irony. This isn't ironic. This is... This is meant, these names are there for a reason. That Ziba now had a station, didn't he? And his station was to take care, to be the caretaker of Mephibosheth. So the story of Mephibosheth is the gospel, right? Unmerited favor. And the story of Ziba is discipleship, love, unmerited service. I'm serving this person not because he deserves it, but because God has blessed me. And God has blessed you and he's shown grace to you. And in turn, we must show the grace that we've been shown. David acts like Jesus, right? He searches, he sends, and he saves, right? He's searched you out. He's found you. He sent people to you to find you. Somebody brought you to Christ. Somebody brought you to Christ. But if you haven't had that revelation in your life, if you haven't ever understood this revelation of the, of the gospel in your life, then maybe today's your day. Maybe today is the day where he's searching for you and he's sending for you and he wants to save you. Does this child belong to somebody? Hello. What's his name? Hamza. Hi, buddy. Hi, Hamza. He's just coming to the altar. He's like, I'm coming, I'm coming early. I'm getting there before anyone. 
Let's turn to page 276. This is part two of this story. 2 Samuel 16, 1 through 3. And it says this, When David had gone a little beyond the summit, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, was right there to meet him. Now, okay, let me, let me give you a little backdrop. So David took the throne, and he calls Mephibosheth in. And during that time, somebody did usurp the throne. Absalom, his son, came and, drove, and, and, he, and he revolted against the king, and he drove David out. My son that he was. So there was now the time when David is coming back, and he's taking back the kingdom. Sound familiar? David, the Christ figure, now is coming back. Jesus, too, is coming back, isn't he? When David had gone a little beyond the summit, now here he is coming back, and now here comes Ziba to greet him. Now remember Ziba, he was the disciple, he was the discipler for Mephibosheth. Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, was right there to meet him. And he had a pair of saddled donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, a clay jar of wine. He was ready. And the king said to Ziba, why do you have all this stuff? Why, why, why are you bringing me all these things? And Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride. The bread is for the summer fruit and your young men to eat. And the wine is for those to drink and become exhausted. And he said, where's your, grand, where's your master's grandson? I don't care about all this stuff. Where's Mephibosheth? Where is he? Well, he left him. What happened was when things got tough, Ziba abandoned Mephibosheth. And he left him. And he saddled this donkey. Now he's trying to look good in the sight of David. But he abandoned his disciple. He abandoned his station. Ouch. Where is your master's son? I wonder if Christ would ask this of us. Where are your disciples? <laughs> My friend Brian growing up, he, um, his uncle... Uh, used to work out and you know and so he was Portuguese and he had a strong Portuguese accent and um so he's going to the gym and this guy came up to him and just starts telling him like how to do this exercise and you know if you want to do this exercise you gotta do it like this and and he wasn't very fit the guy's kind of telling him like like he knows you know everything about working out and so <laughs> my friend's uncle said oh yeah where are all your muscles <laughs> No, you know everything about working out, but where are your muscles? You, you know a lot about it. And maybe that's like us, right? We know a lot about the word of God, but where are your disciples? I think of that a lot, you know. Like, I always have to have someone in my life that I'm discipling. It, it bothers me. You know, we used to travel a lot, and it used to bother me even more then, right? Like, you used to travel so much, and it was like there wasn't time sometimes for people and, you know, a lot you can get done over the phone. But eventually, we've got to grow up to a point where we say, I've got to show this grace that I've been shown. I've got to make my own disciples. Because you know why? Jesus is going to ask you. That's one reason. It's a command on our lives. Go, therefore. You know, some people don't realize that Jesus had commands for us. He had a lot of commands. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So we open up life groups for you, place to make disciples. It's not the only place, but it is a place. I feel like we need to do our due diligence. We're seeing people come to Christ here at our altars. We have to open up our church and our, our, ourselves, our hearts, to 
to disciple them because they're not going to grow up on their own, right? People need to be there. Where is your master's son? Ziba, rather than being a caretaker, left his station. He abandoned Mephibosheth and sought favor for himself. Gosh, isn't this like the New England church? Sorry if I'm sounding a little judgy. Seeking favor for ourselves. God forbid it be said of us that we seek favor for ourselves. I brought you all this stuff, Lord. Look at all I did with my life. Where are your disciples? What did you do with that great commission I gave you? There's a parable of the talents, it says. It says that uh, Jesus gives this parable when talking about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> he says that a king or a, a lord gives his, his servants, three servants, talents, money. And to one he gives five, and one he gives two, and one he gives one. And when he comes back, he wants a return on that investment. And so the one who had five turns around and gives him ten. See, I took this five, and I made ten. And he says, well done. And to the one who had two, he brings him two more, so he has four. But to the one he gave one, the one who had one, he dug a hole and hid it. So that on his return, he just gave him his one back. And he thought he was doing a good thing. Here you go. Preserve myself. Give me your money back. And Jesus says, you wicked and lazy servant. Hey, take it easy. Give me your money back. You should have at least put it in the bank. I could have got an interest. He doesn't want you just to save yourself. We have to duplicate ourselves. We have to invest in others. We have to get ourselves to a place where we can invest in others. We can't just preserve ourselves, looking after ourselves all the time. If we want to harvest, if you want to be a laborer in the harvest, then we have to start looking out among us and stop disqualifying yourself. We talked about self-inflicted disqualifiers, right? Those things that we maybe say to ourselves, I'm busy, I can't do this, I don't know enough, I'm not a pastor, you know. You know, sometimes we think too, like, it's the pastor's job, it's your job, Pastor John, your, pastor, your job, Pastor Tom, you guys disciple the church. Well, the Bible says that the pastors are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So you're the workers. We're the equippers. We're in it with you. We're co-laborers, right? But, you know, I think the American mindset is like, well, plumbers, they plumb, and pastors, they disciple, and, you know, electricians, they run, you know, lights and stuff. And so that's our job. But it's your job. It's all of our jobs to make disciples, right? So the biggest self-inflicted disqualifier is what? Selfishness, right? Just straight up, we're selfish people. We're selfish, right? No horns. We're we're selfish people. We are looking out for ourselves all the time. Selfishness. So here's the here's the last part. Second Samuel chapter nineteen, and so it's page two eighty. If you want to get there, it reads like this. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet, trimmed his mustache, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come with me? Where were you? Why didn't you come with me? 
And he says, my lord, the king, he replied, my servant Ziba betrayed me. Actually, your servant said, I'll saddle the donkey for myself so that I may ride with it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He looked after himself. Mephibosheth was slandered, and his caretaker left him crippled. Ouch. Are we doing this? Are we slandering people? Are we leaving people crippled? Do we care? We have to ask God to break our hearts for people. You know, a lot of you in this room are so loving, and I want to say this too. It's been overwhelming. You know, my, my father passed. Last time I preached, my dad, I preached about him, and uh, he passed away the next day. He'd been in a, um, he'd been in a, uh, like a rehab center. He broke his hip. They've been trying to get him rehabbed, and he just, he didn't have it in him. He had a stroke a few years ago, and just never, he made a recovery, but then when he came up here, he fell and broke his hip. And I'd been his caretaker for a while. But, you know, I can't just leave, I couldn't just leave him crippled. We have to take care of him. And I think a lot of us have to realize that people around us are just broken. They can't move. They can't. They need to be rehabbed. Right? And we're his church. We're his, his hands and his feet. Of, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. We're to come around those that are broken and crippled and lame and bring them. Somebody brought Mephibosheth to David. We're going to ask God to change our hearts. Who are the Mephibosheths in this harvest field left without a caretaker? Who are the Mephibosheths in your life? Remember, he didn't go because he wasn't equipped. He was crippled and abandoned, left to perish by a selfish caretaker. God forbid that that's said of us, that we have left those in our lives abandoned. You know, some of us know people in our lives that are like this, that are in Lodi Bar, doing Lodi Bar things with Lodi Barites. You know, not a place you want to like, you know, leave your doors unlocked at night, right? And God's telling you, go, go get them. Go bring them to me. You know, I want to assure you, this is a good place to bring them. Let it be said that Holden Chapel is a place where people are being discipled. Let it be said that Holden Chapel is a place where you can bring your friends and your lost friends and your lost loved ones and that we would caretake. That we would be those carrying the lame to Christ, looking after him, showing the grace that we've been shown. So in this story, are you Mephibosheth or Ziba? Maybe you have been left out, abandoned, broken. Maybe you're living in Lodi Bar. Maybe you feel a little bit more like a dead dog than a son of God, than a son of the king, than an heir of Jesus. 
Is this story you? Where are you in this story? Have you been acting more like Ziba and less like David to others? Who are those Mephibosheths in your life and how is God asking you to be a caretaker with them? You know, when Jesus was leaving, he gave his disciples this last commandment. And he said, this is a new commandment that you love one another. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater love. Now, why is love a commandment? Why do you have to say this is a commandment? Because we don't do it. It has to be a command, in a sense, because it's a big deal. It's a big deal with Jesus that we lay down our life for our friends. This is the airmark. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. Why? For our love for one another. You know, that was the first airmark I realized coming out of the world of selfishness and sex and drugs and rock and roll and all that jazz. Coming into that church, I realized these people love one another. That was so foreign to me because I lived in a lonely place where there was no communication and no pasture and no word. I was from Lodibar, and I felt like a dead dog in the presence of the king. But then I was taken care of spiritually. Those people got around me, and they made sure I grew spiritually, and they discipled me. And today we have the opportunity to get involved in life groups. So we have groups that are meeting all around the area, where men will disciple men and women will disciple women. And this is a great place where people can grow in Christ. A place where you can fulfill the Great Commission. May never said that this church has not done its best to fulfill this Great Commission. So they're not just for the new believers, they're for older believers too. You know why? No matter where you are in your spiritual maturity level, a life group is for you. Because maybe someone in that group needs your maturity. Let the older rise up the younger. Maybe you're young in the faith. Well, you need some of these older, those more mature people in the faith to grow you up. They're going to be older, but you know, more mature, right? You've been in the faith a while, but you're really not doing much with your faith. Here's an opportunity for you. Get involved. We have eight life groups. And we'll rise up more, but we're starting with eight. Eight is great. I'll be leading one. Pastor Tom will be leading one. And there are others all around. They're meeting homes and coffee shops around the area. So every age range is represented. And so take some time before you leave today. Stop in the Welcome Center. and Try to find one that you'd connect with. Because there are Mephibosheths in this harvest field that need you, that need us. So Brittany and the team, wasn't worship awesome today?
Love it. So good. They're going to lead us in a song called Carry to the Table. And I won't, normally, Brittany and I would lead this, but I've got a little cough. Please pray for me. It's been a long, been a long time. The enemy doesn't like what we're doing here. All right. We're going to sing a song called Carry to the Table. And as she sings, I want you to take this time to think about where you are. Because maybe you've been a little bit more like Ziba, thinking out and looking out for yourself. And you need to repent of that. There are people in your life that need you. And ask God to change your heart. But maybe you're feeling a little bit more like Mephibosheth. Living in Lodibar, doing Lodibar things. Where you've been lost. No communication. No connection. No fellowship to the body. And you're here today and maybe you feel like a dead dog. In the presence of the king. ask you today if you want to be carried to the Lord's table and either you want to repent like Ziba and say you know what I'm going to make disciples or today you want to make a commitment to Christ and say today's the day I'm going to sit at that table and I'm going to commit my life to Christ I want to come into his presence either one of those are you today I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you feel like Mephibosheth you've been in Lodibar doing Lodibar things with Lodibarites that's you today raise your hand you want to be carried to the table amen okay all you Zebas out there you feel like you've been taking care of yourself looking out for yourself and you want to say you know what today's the day I'm going to look out for others I'm going to start making disciples today would you raise your hand amen if you raise your hand today could I ask you to come to these altars so we can pray for you I wish I could go where you are but I can't but you can come to where we are would you come down while we minister to you in song so we can pray with you come on so these hands up there don't be afraid Come on, let's, let's commit to the Lord today to make disciples. Let, let's today be the day that we say, you know what, I'm going to take care of his business. This is about his business, not about my business. If the prayer team can come forward, just gently come up and behind them and lay hands and pray for them. This is amazing. This is so good, guys. Come on, church. Come on, let's celebrate them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the harvest field. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing such a great thing, Lord. That you've carried us to your table. Lord, we're, we're broken, but not forgotten. We thank you, Father, that you've called Mephibosheth's home. And you're turning the hearts of the caretakers back to the people. And Lord, we ask that you do a great thing. Minister to hearts like only you can. Change our hearts the way only you can. Carry us to your table.